when you have players that have gone to pro camps, have maybe experienced a little bit of even NHL exhibition or played a game or two before they come back to juniors. It's so invaluable having that because for the young guys coming in, like you say, they don't really know, but if they're learning from, from these guys that set the bar pretty high, then they almost just kind of adopt that mindset of what it's like to be a pro, and I, I think I think it's huge. That was general manager of the Spokane Chiefs, Matt Bardsley, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Padol. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back or welcome to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. I am your host, Jason Padolan. This is your home for all things player development. Um, oftentimes, I like to focus on the intangibles of development and the journey uh, that people can overlook, meaning mindset and the character intangibles uh, that are required to be your best. Um, the idea of peak potential, I think, is something that we should all be seeking, not only as adults, but also obviously as players who have big goals and dreams. And, uh, and I think that there is such a competitive advantage right now in the marketplace for these intangibles, uh, these, these intangibles of mindset uh, that are involved in player development. Uh, that is an exciting time to do what I do. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of interest in the area. Uh, it's what's called the blue ocean. There's not many people talking about it or doing it, yet there is a lot of players who are benefiting from it. So... Uh, yeah, so what's exciting in this podcast is really the extension uh, of what I do in my core business, which is help athletes be their best and to help them reach their goals and dreams. And uh, and in conversations that you're about to hear, we're able to have some of these discussions uh, with players, um, either ex-players or people who are currently involved in the game, like Mr. Matt Bargely is, the general manager of the Spokane Chiefs, and how he goes about looking at an organization and the players within it who he is trying to recruit, who he wants to be involved in the locker room, and how they go about allowing these players to be the best that they can be. So, yeah, having conversations like this, um, being able to chat about topics that are super relevant and interesting to me, uh, which are also relevant and interesting to you, uh, or else you wouldn't be here, uh, is exciting for me. And this interview... Uh, actually, I don't like to call them interviews, to be quite honest, and I like to call them discussions or conversations, because uh, I feel when these are their best, that's what it is. It's just me chatting hockey with somebody else, uh, less interview style and more discussion style. And uh, and when we're having these discussions, it's really fun. For me, it's, it's super uplifting, and to be able to talk with somebody like Matt, uh, who's involved in a, you know, a real historic and traditional team within WHL, the Spokane Chiefs, a team that's super, um, you know, close to my heart for obvious reasons. Uh, well, for obvious reasons, for those who know my story, I was listed by the Spokane Chiefs at 13 years old and and ended up playing my first games for them in the playoffs uh, in my 15-year-old season. I had turned 16 at the time, uh, but was still qualified as a 15-year-old. And then to play four more years with them, 16, 17, 18, 19, before I turned pro, 
very, very special place in my heart, uh, this organization. They they treated me well. The people within within that organization were great to me. The fans were fantastic to me. The people of the city uh, were great. So to be able to interview Matt here or, or to have a conversation with Matt was, was really special. Matt and I don't know each other, just as far as that is concerned. Uh, he had seen me play, as he mentions on this uh uh in this episode uh but he we had never crossed paths before uh we did have a conversation uh prior to being on this podcast uh just about uh well really just about me potentially working with them in some capacity to be to be super transparent uh i've i've always wanted to work uh with the with the chiefs in some way i thought that would be great with what i do now with the with the mindset development and uh, and the high performance training for athletes uh, Matt's uh, phone was the first one that I that I rang because if there's a team in the WHL that I want to work with, it's the Spokane Chiefs. So we've had some preliminary discussions there. Who knows where that goes? And that's not what this conversation is about. Uh, would love to be able to support them, but neither here nor there. Um, during that initial uh, conversation, I did say to Matt, I was like, hey, would you mind being a guest? I'd love to be able to chat with you. And he was so gracious in the fact that uh, he volunteered his time and and uh, and shared with us, you know, where his team is at now. His his background is quite interesting. You're going to find it very interesting, a very unconventional route uh, to being sitting in the chair where he's at. Uh, we talk about the WHL draft quite extensively. Um, how how Matt uh, approaches it, you know, what he wants his scouts to be looking for. What are the core tenets of a hockey player that he that he finds. Um, of the utmost importance and uh and might be something interesting there f for for some of you because uh the thing at the highest uh, the highest piece of the totem pole is uh is where you may not suspect that they are looking and um and yeah also talks about the you know the the benefits of the character intangibles and and how important that is in assessing uh where these players are at and and at 14 how it's hard to assess that sometimes because what might be conceived as potentially selfishness uh or uh weak mental toughness can sometimes be coming out as just like that's the competitive nature like the fire of the athlete is is why you're seeing maybe some of this bad body language or or some of these outbursts on the ice and and so it's hard to qualify that uh at times when you're dealing with 14 year old kids that you're trying to assess is what they're going to be like at 17 18 19. so uh yeah some really interesting discussions um again uh, for me, special special discussion. Uh, the Spokane Chiefs. You see the you're going to see the uh, the Spokane emblem there in the background during our interview. Every time I see that, I, it puts a smile on my face and and allows me to reminisce from some of the best times in in my in my hockey career. So uh, this is a this is a, a discussion you're going to enjoy. Uh, again, anytime you have an opportunity to have uh, 60 minutes with the general manager of a of a team such as the Spokane Chiefs and the WHL, a place where a lot of players, especially in Western Canada, want to go, um, is is very cool. And I hope you guys enjoy everything that he has to offer. So without further ado, let's bring on Matt Bardsley, General Manager of the Spokane Chiefs. The General Manager of the Spokane Chiefs, you guys all know that that's a pretty special team for me, so I'm excited for this conversation. Welcome to the program, Matt Bardsley. Hi, Jason. How you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's exciting to talk about the Chiefs. And I know with your uh, your history with the team, and uh, I actually remember watching you play with the Chiefs. So it's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. We uh, seeing that that logo behind you there. It was uh, once I got listed at the time that I was I was taken before the draft sort of existed. Uh, 
that logo was like everywhere. I learned how to draw it. It was in the garage where I shot pucks. It was like, I don't know, something about that logo. I always loved it. I think they did a great job with it. It's pretty timeless. One of the best in uh, in junior hockey, I think, for sure. So it's always nice when I get to see that logo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it is nice. I mean, now, now that I'm here, yeah. You know, I certainly have appreciation for it. I know when I was in other locations, I had a bit of a dislike for it, <laughs> but now I love it, so it's good. Yeah. You know what? Actually, we should take maybe a little walk down memory lane because you and I had an opportunity to chat just previously uh, to us being on air here and, and um, your history with Portland. And then we were able to, to reminisce a little bit about a series that was super memorable for me and and maybe not as memorable for, for the Winterhawk fans, but maybe we'll just start just with, with your kind of start with the game. And I think that probably a pretty good introduction to, uh, to my audience. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, uh, you know, I'm early on when I started, it was pretty intimidating, but I, you know, I'm fairly proud of, of how I got to where I was because it's very non-traditional uh, route. I'm, I was born and raised in San Jose, California. And at the time the sharks weren't even there. So hockey wasn't, wasn't much in the, in the city of San Jose. Uh, my dad was living in Portland, so I would visit him in the summertime and then at Christmas. And during the Christmas holidays, he would always take me to a Winterhawks game. And that's how I kind of got into hockey. And then eventually down in, in San Jose or in the States uh, is when ESPN first started picking up uh, NHL. So I started to become a fan. Um, like I said, I, I would watch the games when I'd visit my dad. Um, and then... Uh, Eventually, I moved to Portland. I moved there in the summer of uh, 1987 and started going to games. Uh, actually, we had season tickets. So uh, during the time that, that you were playing in, in Spokane and uh, when, when you guys were coming to Portland, like I was, that's when I was going into game or going to the games. Became a real big fan of hockey. Um, and then one of, my, one of my early jobs was driving a Zamboni at the, uh, the practice rink where the Winterhawks were practicing. So I eventually got into coaching, just youth hockey, started house league, and then eventually up to travel. And, and uh, the AAA team was going to a tournament in Nanaimo, and I was coaching the AA team. So I got asked to, I got called up for the for the AAA team as a coach. And uh, one of one of the local players in Portland, uh, uh, he was there, and a couple teams asked asked about him. So when I got back uh, to Portland that week and uh, I became good friends with Mike Williamson through his time just in, in Portland, he was the assistant coach for the Winterhawks. And, uh, and the player that uh, was from the local area, his name is uh, Paul Gostad. And so I just kind of referenced Paul to Mike and one thing led to another, they listed Paul. And then at that time they had asked if I'd be interested in scouting because they didn't have anybody working in the States as far as the US players go. They knew that I traveled quite a bit uh, with hockey, with, with the travel team. And, you know, I thought I hit the lottery. So I was like, sure, I'd love to do that. And that was in 1999. So that was kind of my start, my introduction into it. But again, uh, not playing the game growing up because where I was, um, it was a little bit intimidating because it was just like, well, who's going to believe in me and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I learned pretty quick. Uh, I surrounded myself with really good people, knowledgeable people, uh, tried to be a sponge. Um, and, and, it, you know, it was great. Like everyone kind of gave, people gave me a chance, listen, I don't know so much my story, but, but when they kind of asked, oh, where did you play? That's where early on I was kind of nervous. Oh, I didn't. And they're like, well, how'd you get this? But, but it was quite the opposite. So, um, that, that's how I started, uh, with hockey, my kind of my background, but I started with Portland in 99 and actually worked with the team for 19 years. So that's awesome. 
I, I, I want to lean into that just a little bit and, and wasn't expecting to go there. I, I knew you had a little bit of a, I don't know what the right word is, humble, I guess, beginning or a grassroots beginning. Um, but there's a, there's some type of confidence or some type of fire that has to be within you or a passion for it to do that, right? Cause you're putting yourself in an uncomfortable environment. Uh, everyone knows that the hockey world is kind of a close knit old school kind of frat boy scenario, you know, like everyone's kind of been around the game or whatever. So you're coming in there um, as a guy that grew up in California and now you're rubbing shoulders and elbows with these guys that have probably been around their game their whole lives. What was uh, what was the reason for you or like the, the fire there that that allowed you to get that uncomfortable and and, uh, and do what you were doing? Yeah, I think, well, you're right about the passion part of it. Like I just absolutely loved hockey. I mean, it whether it was watching it, uh, listening to it, like even the broadcast when the team was on the road, like if I wasn't at the time, I wasn't working with the team, but I would always, you know, tune into every game. So I just became a huge fan of it. And certainly at the time, I wasn't thinking about a career of it, but I just thought, how, how can I stay involved? I knew it wasn't going to be as a player and certainly wasn't going to be as a coach, but I enjoyed going to the games. You know, I enjoyed, you know, just watching, watching players play. And, you know, maybe I, I felt a little bit like, well, maybe I can, I, identify players or something like that and and then once I got that opportunity with Portland um, I mean it just went to a whole nother level where it's just I, I just absolutely loved it and then then you start to maybe you find a player that winds up playing and they're just like oh you know this kind of confirms maybe this is something I can do and and stuff like that um, you know I had great mentors like Ken Hodge was unbelievable giving me my first opportunity um, a lot of people around the organization probably were really changed is when uh, Mike Johnston, Travis Green came in um, because uh, Mike gave me a lot of ownership in my role with the team. And at the same time, wherever we went, Mike always made sure to introduce me to the people and he's so well connected. And that really gave me a lot of confidence because right. once you start meeting guys, especially, you know, whether it was uh, coaches or management or people that you see on TV and, you know, they, you know, they just treat you like another person that really gave me a lot of confidence. Cause again, I was probably a little bit insecure going in that, gee, once I'm waiting for that question, Oh, where did you play or what have you done stuff like that and how you're going to be responded to with it. So I was a little bit insecure going in. Um, but then I, you know, started getting really confident as I started to meet people and and being part of a successful organization really really helps too um you know we had a pretty good run there in portland so. yeah i know you guys had some really strong teams and some hard teams to play against that's for sure uh yeah i mean the validation of there's two words that kind of came to my mind there when you were talking well one is you know in that scouting capacity the, the proof for for you i guess and for your for your peer group is identifying the players right that's one thing to be on the road and watching right but i guess that would have been sort of your your testing ground to see uh what you see right and then having that voice at the table and and having those pl those players come up uh the other thing that i was thinking of is the is the word confidence that you used a ton of times and isn't that such a crazy word because you know like you're, you're experiencing it there and as a scout and being in a new environment and then with what i do and working with the players um all the time like that's the word that comes up all the time right like i want more confidence or i need more confidence or i uh you know i i have a hard time ha maintaining a consistent level of confidence and and it's hard when you're sending players to an area that they've never been to before 
right? So, I mean, you guys have that every year, right? There's new players coming into the league. They've never played a shift in that league before. They've never scored a goal in that league before. They've been hockey players, yes, but they've never proven themselves or even know what to expect at that level. And it's hard to walk into those environments sometimes or harder for some people than others uh, with that C word, confidence. How do you remain confident? Um, is there a, kind of a little bit of a, of, of a side trek, I guess, but is there a way or your coaching staff, like when you bring in these younger players or rookies to the organization that allow them to feel confident and comfortable? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it, and it's a word that's probably used quite a bit, but it is your culture, right, in, in your room. And, you know, you, you want to get to a spot where you walk into the room and it feels like, okay, this is a pro environment, even if we're in juniors. But, you know, when through my experiences seeing teams that when you have players that have gone to pro camps, have maybe experienced a little bit of even NHL exhibition or played a game or two before they come back to juniors, it's, it's so invaluable having that because for the young guys coming in, like you say, they don't really know, but if they're learning from, from these guys that set the bar pretty high, then they almost just kind of adopt that mindset of what it's like to be a pro. And I, I, think, I think it's huge. And then, then that just breeds confidence and, and you see, you're just seeing it more and more now, today's athletes. I mean, there's so much more information out there uh, when they are 14, 15. Um, I think, you know, a big thing we try to do is once a player, if he's committed to us, he's, he's signed a standard player agreement, he comes in. We always try to make sure we bring them in during the season if we can. And then once their season ends, bring them up uh, for the end of our season, hopefully playoffs. And they just get a bit of that experience uh, they understand the routine. So when they come in the following year, instead of maybe maybe waiting till the end of October, early November, that they start to feel confident, they've already got a bit of an idea of what to expect. They've got a relationship with the staff. They know some of their teammates. So when they come to camp, they're almost hitting the ground running. But again, that comes from confidence because, yeah. you know, I think you want them to feel confident, but it's also part of our uh our responsibility is developing players to, 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 you know, foster an environment where, where they're going to feel confident. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me and just my experience with it, and, and again, you know, we're talking decades ago now, but going to new, new places, it was, the communication was super lacking back in the day, right? Like just as far as like what the expectation was for the player as an individual or even what the routine was or even like the welcome, hey, we really want you here. Like any of those things like just didn't exist. Like that whole kind of the personal side of the game, it was, especially at the pro level, it was all about, you know, you kind of being an asset and, you know, don't get too comfortable with the asset. I, that's the way it kind of felt, right? But I think I think these young men and women, like, I mean, they, they want to know uh, where they stand, what the what the rules are, what the expectations are, why they're there. You know, what I mean, those types of things I think help with the comfort level, and and um, coaching staff seem to do a much better job of that these days of making people feel comfortable when they walk through the doors, and they're also understanding more that the elder leaders, right, like the older veterans, as you say, like they, they play a role in that too, right? Walking across the room, shaking hands, making sure that they know their name, taking them out for lunch or these types of things. So there's, uh, to that word of yours, culture, I mean, I love hearing that because that's uh, that really where it, where, it, where it starts and where it stops is is where the coaches want to handle it and also how the how those veteran players in the room handle handle it. You know, that's where the, that's where the standards are set. Uh, I got to We got to go back to that series. So Portland, Spokane. <laughs> I know I know that you weren't necessarily involved in it, but you were you were kind of watching that one, and that was uh, that was just wild. And I think I may have told it on this on this 
podcast before, but I don't really know why I would have actually, but it was my last year. So I was 96. It was the first year in the new building, like, or that one that you're still in right now that looks exactly like it did when, when it was built. It's crazy how well they've maintained that thing. Um, But it was like this brand new building in Spokane. They was, they just got rid of the Boone street barn, held 10,000 people. We had a great team that year. Like we're selling out lots, you know, 10,500 was in there consistently. And we ran into Portland in the first round of the playoffs. We were the number one ranked team in the CHL. Portland was the sixth seed, the way they did the playoffs then. And um, before you know it, we were down three games to nothing to Portland. Bialecki was hot. That goalie was playing really well. And, and they were scrappy and they were a good team. But like we, we were kind of just shocked. And, uh, and at that point, Matt, I know you told, told you that last time we talked, but for those listening, there was going to be history made either way because a one seed had never lost to a six seed at that point in the WHL playoffs. And no team in WHL history ever had come back from down three, nothing. So like the, the standard was set. Right. And it was this, it was this crazy scenario. And uh, the one thing I never told Mike Badpock was that was our coach at the time. And I think everyone probably who follows hockey in any capacity now knows who Mike Babcock is, went on to win Olympics, uh, gold medals and, you know, coach, coach of, uh, the, the Leafs and now coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Anyways, he was, he was our coach at the time. And Babs was like, it was interesting because, you know, you obviously now hire coaches and, you know, you look for different personality types and, and Babs was one of the most prepared coaches. He was one of the most confident guys. You know, he had a swagger to him for sure. He was, had a dry sense of humor. Uh, there wasn't nothing too cuddly about him, you know, um, he did his job. He did it really well. But I was, you know, I can say that now. I was his guy that year, right? Like, I was the guy that kind of stirred the drink in Spokane. But he never really treated me like that. Like, I wasn't having any meetings with him. Like, he'd never bring me in, ask me how the team was doing or how I was doing. And, you know, which I saw in different other points in my career. So he was he was hands off with me. Um, but then we're down 3 nothing, And he grabs me out of the locker room. It was after pregame skate before game four. And he, he legitimately put his arm around my shoulder walking down the hallway. We were in uh, uh, we, we were in the hallway there, and he and he says, Jason, he goes, this team needs you. You got to put us on your back, and we're going to ride you the whole way. And it was like, for me, like, it was crazy. You talk about that word confidence. Like, I'd never heard that from him. Like, never, right? Like, that I was important, that I was valuable, that he wanted me, you know, that the team needed me. Of course, I knew it subconsciously, but not like that in your face, right? Like, let's right. go, you know? And, um, and boy, I, I think that lit a huge fire because for me personally, that was like the best run I ever had. I had like 21 goals in 16 games after that. We ended up coming back. We, we won game six in double OT, game seven in overtime. There's people lined up outside the building. It was the loudest building I'd ever been in. And um, anyways, you I mean, Portland was scrappy, scrappy, scrappy. And they could have won that series very, very easily. Obviously, when you go to double overtime games. And we ended up running to the WHL final that year. and never got to the Memorial Cup, unfortunately. But anyways, that was just like epic. Like, I mean, as far as, you know, you know, when you have your stories, right? Like, and you've had a long career now. Like, there's some things that just stick out. Like, that series for me and that whole run was just so crazy. What was it like on the other side of that? Was it pretty heartbreaking for, for, the, for the group? Well, yeah, I mean... Again, I was at that time, I was more of a fan than I was working, but I was, you know, certainly a passionate fan. And I do, re- I remember going to those games and if I'm correct, wasn't game four in, uh, in Portland. Yeah. And that. I'm not sure how but it was. I was going to say that. Maybe my memory's off on that, but it was. Yeah. And 
and I remember it was, I think that was a pretty close game, but uh, you guys won that game and I'm like, all right, well, it's three, one. Okay. And then you guys win again. Okay. Well, it's three, two. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I thought game six, when it went to double overtime, was there uh was it Richard Zednick that maybe thought he scored or was there like a, a wave off of a goal that was waved off in overtime that maybe Portland thought they won? I, I thought I remember something like that. I could be wrong. I could be wrong in my timelines or whatever, but I thought there was an inst uh, an instance there where there was a chance. I think it was game seven, Matt. Now that you're bringing that up, I think that oh, was game, game seven. seven. Yeah, okay. and I think and I think it was in overtime, and I think there was some controversy of what happened. I can't remember exactly what it was, but then Darren Sinclair scored after. So, of course, right. when you're on the winning end of that, that's completely <laughs> nullified, and you don't remember, you don't necessarily remember the details yeah. of that. But right. yeah, Zednik was a beast, man. He was so hard to play against. Big, strong uh, European player. He was uh, he was really a, a, a big problem for us and a thorn in our side. And uh, but yeah, that was, I remember skating around before game seven, cause we were down in the, well, the locker room's obviously in the same spot as it is now. So we were sitting in there before game seven started and they were playing the highlights on, uh, on the big screen above, right before the game started of the series. Right. And so wow, of our right. double overtime goal in game six and all these other big moments and the crowd was going bonk. Like cr it was crazy. It was honestly bedlam. And when we went out before, uh, the game, like before the anthem, I was skating beside my buddy, Sean Gillum, who was, I believe our captain that year. And. Uh, like screaming at him from like six inches away, and like we couldn't hear each other. Like that was how loud that building was. It was, it was so cool. And um, so I've I've seen I've seen Spokane in that way. You know, like the, yeah, the fans there cool. are passionate. They care. Um, there was a lot of excitement around our team and about the rink, obviously. So we had a few other things that were going for us that year. But boy, what a great place for teenagers to play! Like it was so fun. Yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive. I mean. You know, last year was my first year in Spokane. Uh, you're right; the uh, the building's unbelievable. Um, you know, I was probably a little spoiled because during my time working with the Winterhawks, we we played a lot of our games. Uh, one, it was the Rose Garden, then it changed to the Moda Center, but it was like an NHL type facility. So whenever I would travel with the team and come into Spokane, it was a nice building, but you never really thought too much about it because you know we're so used to you know the Rose Garden. But now that I'm here and I'm in it every day, like for me, it's it's one of the best buildings in the league. And like you said, it's you would think it's you know you wouldn't think it's 30 years old. It's uh, you know feels like it's 10 years old. But the city does a great job putting money back into the building uh, to maintain it, keep it modern looking. It's a multi-purpose event. I mean, we get or facility, we get a lot of concerts, a lot of shows. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that's happening in the building. But they really do an unbelievable job maintaining it. Uh, the fans are incredible, uh, much like what you experienced. I mean, you know, we certainly had a tough year this year, but we still finished second in the league in attendance. Um, so it's 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 quite impressive. So I'm you know I feel very fortunate to be here, and uh, you know I know we're kind of branching off, but even on a personal level for a family, I have a a seven year old daughter, a four year old son, and we absolutely love it here. We're in a great spot. Uh, a uh, great uh, area for schools, um, a lot to do for the kids. It's a great community. Like we're, we feel really blessed uh, 
blessed to be here. It's, it's a great yeah. spot. And I know you were here for a while and you got to experience it too. So Yeah, I know it is a fantastic area. The, the only, the only thing and not to, like, cause everything was awesome. The schools were awesome. Everything was great, but it's so big. Like as far as like it's, it's widespread, right? I remember like I lived in the Valley and a lot of my guys were building up in the, on the North side there. Right. And so like that drive is like 30 minutes, you know, and for me coming for from sure. a small yeah. town, it felt like an hour, you know, it was like, Oh my God, this is so far away. But, um, but no, I love what they've done with the downtown area. That now it's like been revitalized. Like Spokane is definitely a cool place to play. Um, and yeah, it was really fun to experience those four years there. All right, let's take a short break from the conversation with Matt to remind you that Up My Hockey is more than a podcast. Up My Hockey is a training system, a mental performance training system for athletes, for players who want to do big things who have big goals and big dreams and who want to be their best and to uh, maybe to this point in their journey, haven't really considered what mindset is, how it's going to help uh, and why I need it. And if you are one of those, if you are somebody who does want to be your best, this is the competitive advantage you are looking for. Up My Hockey can provide programs from U11, U13, all the way up the ranks uh, that will give you a taste of how you can fine tune what's going on between your ears to serve you best, whether that means from a practice habit standpoint, whether that means from a time management standpoint, whether that means preparation, recovery from mistakes, resiliency, um, belief systems, self-esteem, confidence, all these things are wrapped into something that I call mindset. And there are ways that you can learn about some of these tools, strategies, and ideas, and definitely ways you can execute on them. Uh, and I think that for me is one of the differentiations of Up My Hockey and why it's different is because one, I've been there, I know what it's like to chase a pro hockey career. I know what it's like to play at the highest level. I know what it's like to be a touted, highly touted junior prospect. And I know the pressures that are associated with that of moving away from home. I know what these players are going through. And I also know some of the gaps in the development process that exist. And there is areas where generally people aren't filling the holes. And I believe it's the biggest competitive advantage available. The other uh, execution uh, piece that Up My Hockey differentiates itself with is what I just said there is execution. Everything that I do with players gets them to execute, gets them to move forward, gets them to try a new action or a new strategy or a new tool. Um, nothing is theoretical. Everything is practical and everything is something that they can apply to their game or to their day as soon as they start working with me. Uh, and I think that's a big piece because the big piece of that is, is now they are applying, now they are tweaking, now they are seeing results, now they're building their self-esteem and their confidence, and they are feeling empowered about what is to come. So if you are somebody uh, that is listening, that has a player that wants to be their best, has big goals and dreams, if this is something that you haven't explored yet, you understand mindset is a key component of success and regardless of what you do, um, perhaps this is something you want to look at. Uh, again, I've shared this on different podcasts. Not only do I like helping individual players, but really the overall business goal and the, and the, where I think the most impact can be made is with organizations in general or associations or academies where an academy can step in, use up my hockey and the programs that I've developed, uh, along with the coaching and all athletes within that space have access to key tools that will help them be better. 
uh, it takes the onus off the coaches. It takes the onus off the off the parents and and off the off the managers of the teams to try and supply this this type of uh, training and this type of practice and is a done for you turnkey approach. So if you are in that market space, if you are somebody who's an influencer in that market space, by all means, let let the decision makers know that up my hockey is something that they could consider. And uh, on the heels of that, if you are a GM or a coach of a team, and and maybe the association is is too big of a of a of a step to make or too big of a reach, then I can work with your team, or one of my coaches can work with your team uh, this season. Walk you through uh, the Peak Potential Hockey Project. It turns out to be an eight week program. Uh, it is a massively advantageous culture builder. Uh, not only, again, from an individual standpoint, will your players be better, more well-adapted, uh, more, more ready to step into their greatness, but your team will have a different set of language uh, and a different set of criteria and standards that they will be uh, looking at for, for the season. So it does help you with more wins. It also helps you minimize problems within the dressing room and some of these distractions that can come up throughout the year. So if that sounds interesting to you, by all means, reach out. Upmyhockey.com is where you will find that. And I would love to get on a call and see if we would be a good fit for supporting either your association, your team, or your individual player. Now let's get back to the conversation with Matt Bartley. You mentioned it was a tough year last year. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly where they finished in the standings, but it wasn't it wasn't where I, I know you guys wanted to. But how do you look at that from a GM's position now? Like, what is the what is the outlook? How do you build on last year? And 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 is there like a long term three or four year play that you're trying to work at, or what is the what is the way to get back to uh, to the playoffs and winning more than you're losing? Yeah, you know, it's. I think for me, when I got hired, um, it was kind of interesting because the year before I got hired, I was working for Philadelphia as an as a amateur scout, and my main focus was in the Western League. So, uh, you know, Spokane had a couple of players up for the draft, so I probably followed the team. I probably watched Spokane 10 to 12 times that year. Um, so when I wound up getting this opportunity uh, um, to go through the interview, I had a bit of an idea as far as just uh, the roster goes. So coming in, I kind of had a bit of an idea where we were. At the same time, you, you know, you got to be realistic too. Like within the division itself, uh, Seattle was a was an incredible team, and we knew they were going to be loading up. Uh, Kamloops was hosting, so it seemed like every every cycle when the Western League team is hosting, there's going to be three or four other teams that probably feel they're right there. So usually in the, the league that hosts that year, the teams start to load up. So, you know, we talked last year with our team, like we, we could have added some players to our roster um, that would have certainly helped. We might have gained another five to seven wins. I don't know if that would have changed anything as far as playoffs go, but the one thing it certainly would have changed was it would have delayed where we're eventually trying to get to because we would have had to move some draft picks maybe even a young player to bring in an older player. So trying to be a little bit realistic where it is, it's, you know, and it's tough for some of the older players too, because, you know, they, they want to win. We always want to win, but there's that balance of winning, but also developing and we, we want to do it the right way. So to answer your question, um, you know, I thought the one thing I was proud of, I tried to take the positive out of a really tough year, but in the second half of the season, um, we had, we were second in the Western Conference for the increase in winning percentage. It might not have shown much. I mean, it doesn't mean we went from a 200, 250 winning percentage to a 
800 winning percentage. But the point being is, is how much we improved in the second half. And really that wasn't because we added players. It's just, we started seeing the team develop, you know, it was kind of new for everybody. You have a, a, a new general manager, our head coach, he was the interim head coach for the last month and a half, the year before. So now this is his first year being a head coach. Um, we brought in an associate coach from the Quebec League. So it was his first year in the Western League. Um, and then we had uh, uh, our other assistant coach, Dustin Donahue. He had been kind of a part-time coach, but last year was his first full-time. So there's a lot, everything for it. And that's, you know, that could be tough for players um, when all of a sudden you have different voices, different mindsets, maybe you know, you, you have to kind of adapt to that. So um, I thought our players did a real good job of uh, of battling through that, uh, sticking with, you know, we talk about sticking with the process, so to speak. Um, they did, but we started to see some really good, uh, our, our players develop. Um, again, kind of knowing where we were within our division and even in the conference, it was going to be tough. Um, but I, I really liked the way we finished the year. Um, and then just kind of kind of going from there like we, we were the second youngest team in the league you know and and jason you've played in the league too and you know but usually the older teams probably have a, a chance so, somewhat of winning so to speak just kind of the way it goes um so we knew we were in tough there but now we're collectively a year older um some of those teams we talked about before they are graduating players i mean when you have teams that have 12 or 13 players at the 19 and 20 year old age group, just by default, they're going to be graduating. I mean, they can only keep three of those. Right. So, uh, so there, there, there's going to be a bit of a change there. So um, I think this year, the, the goal without looking too far ahead, but we certainly want, we need the playoff experience where we eventually want to go. We need playoff experience. I think any teams that have success or have a chance to win, they have to have some playoff experience. So, uh, that's our focus this year, but without skipping steps, we want to do the right things to, to to earn that opportunity to get into the playoffs. But I believe we have that with our coaching staff, uh, with our players. I believe we can get there. The long-term vision, playoffs this year, I believe the following year we can compete for the division. And then in that third year, I think we can compete for the conference. And it just so happens to be that that year is when the Memorial Cup comes back to the Western League. Mm -hmm. And now they've opened it back up to the U.S. teams. Like this year in the OHL is hosting in Saginaw uh, was was awarded the uh, the bid or they'll be hosting. So yeah. um, I, I believe we have a chance to compete uh, for the league um, in that third year in, in kind of what, what the plan is. Right. Um, we've accumulated a lot of draft picks. Like we have 19 uh, draft picks in the first four rounds over the next three years. So as I've told our players, I told some of the media, we didn't acquire all these draft picks so we could, you know, select, uh, you know, 19 players in the draft in the first four <laughs> rounds, you know, but part of that is I think we can use that uh, to add impact players without sacrificing the draft itself. So I believe we're in a good spot. There is the plan. Now we've got to execute the plan. Yeah, no, excellent. That sounds exciting. Like you got a good eye on what's going on there. And I, I would assume that like the NHL teams, like the, the path forward and maybe even more so actually at the WHL level it is through the draft, right? Like the importance of 
you know, where you came from and, and watching watching these players in the arenas and, and making the right picks and, and hopefully those picks pay, pay off. I, I would assume that's a pretty high high priority item for you as the GM now is making sure you identify the right players for the Spokane Chiefs. Well, you do. I mean, the, at the end of the day, the draft, like so the NHL, certainly the Western League, whenever there's a draft, that's the lifeline of your team. Like you, that's where you build your teams. You can certainly fill in through trades or – I know, like you said, when you came into the organization, the draft wasn't there yet. So there was basically a listing process. So there still is the listing process. But at the end of the day, it starts with the draft. And I think what's important for teams and in my my belief, my philosophy, our philosophy is there's a template of of what you want in a player. And it kind of starts a little bit how we want to play. So we need those type of players. I know when I started to understand more, I think. I always thought it was interesting that, you know, maybe teams wanted to play a certain way, but they didn't acquire those type of players. And even coaching is so big. If, you know, if you, you wanted to play a certain way, but maybe you, you hire a coach, that that's not their strength. You know, maybe they want to play a certain way. So I think everything has to be lined up together. You, you know, you want to play a certain way, but you also have to make sure that your coaching staff aligns with that. And, you know, and that's their strengths. You know, yeah. you want to make sure you're matching the strengths with the strengths. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, the, uh, I had a couple of conversations with some NHL scouts, and I do think that there's, you know, there's definitely, you know, credibility there with what you're saying and the fact that, like, well, you were with the Flyers, for instance. Like, there's a there's a blue-collar, traditional blue-collar, hard-nosed, hard-edged team. And, yes, those teams still need skill, right? Yeah. Like, so you're still looking for skill, but there's still a brand about the Flyers, that the Flyers will always probably be that type of team because that's the type of team that those fans want to come watch, right? So sure. I, I would assume, like, you wearing the hat of a Flyer scout, you're, you know, that's that's the type of player you're looking for, these gritty, edgy, hard-to-play-against players. That would be a higher priority for the Flyers than maybe, say, I don't know what other, but whatever, fill in the blank on whatever other team in the NHL, right? Um, and sure. you're kind of playing that same thing now. And um, when you come in there with with your hat on as the GM of the Spokane Chiefs, is there a way that Matt Bardsley wants the Spokane Chiefs to look and play like? What, what type of players are you, are you? Do you find um, uh, attractive? Well, and it's it sounds probably very generalized, but I mean, it's there are kind of the four basics. You certainly want guys that can skate. You want guys that compete, guys that have skill, and guys that have hockey sense. I mean, for me, those are the four staples that you want. I think in today's game now, I, we we really value the hockey sense portion. And not to say that, you know, if you can't skate and you don't have skill and you don't compete, that's fine. I mean, you have to have those qualities. But I think hockey sense is probably the hardest thing to, to teach. Um, I always kind of, it, it's interesting. I mean, you've got skill coaches, you have skating coaches, you have strength coaches, you have mental performance coaches, but there's no hockey sense coach, right? It's, it's just one of those things that you kind of have it. I, I think, I think you can certainly, um, get better understanding the game. You can learn the game with video, um, being a student of the game. I do believe as, as you get older through the league, the game probably becomes a little bit easier, maybe even slows down for you a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, to have that hockey sense, some players just have it. Some guys are at elite level when they, the way they think the game. Um, but those are kind of the, the four areas, our criteria that we look for. Character is a huge piece as well, you know, and that's, that's more so, uh, you know, you can certainly see that a little bit as you're, as you're watching a game, but that's where it's, 
it's uh, imperative that our scouts are doing a lot of the behind the scenes work. They're talking to coaches, they're talking to uh, parents, they're talking, you know, just using your resources to get information about the player, the individual. Um, you can certainly see things on the ice. I think sometimes you can misread a player's character too, because sometimes the players that are so driven, it's just their emotion. They slam a stick. They, you know, whatever they're on their teammates, as long as it's, it's coming from a good place, you know, but sometimes you, from afar, we can watch players. Oh, he's, he has bad character. But then you talk to the coach, you talk to other people say, Oh no, don't, don't mistake in that. Don't mistake in that for some sort of weakness. That's just, he's just so driven. He's not mad at his teammates. He just, he's expecting the best. So I think, you know, I think you, uh, you certainly have to make sure you're do, doing your homework on, on individuals, but um, kind of, the, I guess the long version of what you asked there. Yeah. We, we want to play a certain way. These are the things that we need. The one thing we really talk about Jason is we want to draft like when it comes to drafting, we want to draft top six forwards, you know, top four D, a starting goaltender. And that's not to say that bottom six forwards are not valuable, but what I would rather have or have our philosophy is if he doesn't happen to become a top six forward, then we feel he's got all those qualities. He's going to be a really good bottom six forward rather than trying to draft a bottom six forward. And if he doesn't quite reach that, then he's probably not, not on our team. So, so we kind of have a bit of a, uh, a guideline of what we're looking for. And that's how we kind of do our focus. We, you know, we want top six, top four starting goaltender. And then if, like I said, if they don't quite reach that, we know that there's still a spot for them on the, on the team that they're going to be really good. Yeah. Interesting. I love that philosophy and that insight. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Cause yeah, I mean the, the trickle down could definitely happen. I guess when you're dealing with those four quadrants, um, if we were going to be, if we're going to generalize them, usually the top six guys would have high skill, right? They would probably be high in the hockey IQ quotient. They'd be higher on the um, on the skating side, and then maybe if there was one of the four quadrants for you, there might be the compete level that could be maybe a little bit lower, right? But those 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 uh, those top six guys, yeah. Um, so, but it's kind of funny, right? Because like that's when I'm watching guys like that compete level. And again, it's like what you're watching. Sometimes that is so, like it's so powerful when you watch somebody that really competes hard, like he can make up for a lot of different things. And um, and then those guys are like, you know, those guys are obviously supply some value, some value too. And I know you're not, you, you mean you said that compete is a huge, is a huge thing for you guys. And, and, and along with character, and I think those kind of go side by each too, right? Because those sometimes are the guys that drive, drive the bus. For sure. Well, and I think in the compete, it can be a pretty broad spectrum too. Like sometimes people maybe when they say compete, this guy just goes and runs guys over, you know, oh, he's competitive. Yeah. You know, that that's certainly one aspect, but competing for uh, on the boards, competing, let's say you lose the puck, how's his, how's his puck retrieval or, you know, trying to get the puck back. Does he just let somebody else do it? Even in face-offs, he's competitive in face-offs. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to be, so I think there, there's so many different levels that you, that can branch off from the word compete doesn't necessarily have to be a guy that's just just goes so hard you know you you can work really really hard but maybe you're not even being effective that way you know yeah. so um so but compete compete is uh is is very important i mean you need that in today's game but also with today's game i mean we watch it it's there's so much skill the guys the skating's unreal um and that's where i think the hockey sense is really important because the game's so much faster 
So, you know, you, you have to think quick. I believe that uh, a hockey sense, in my belief, my personal opinion, even a hockey sense can make up for a little bit of lack of skill or a lack of, of skating. But if you can anticipate the game, you know where to go, stuff like that. It's, I think, I think that can trump a lot of areas that maybe is not, not great. And I try to remind our scouts, say, guys, like, you know, if, if you think his skating is a little bit subpar, but his, his hockey sense is elite, like, let's really look into this player because we can work on skating. You know, we, we can work on some of these things with that player. So, um, but yeah, that, that's a little bit of our mindset. That's our philosophy. And, you know, people may hear that and then see where they finish, where we finished and say, well, gee, that, that's not working so well right now. But, oh, but, I, believe, starting, but I believe you stick with it. Um, yeah. you, you know, eventually build the teams that you want. And, uh, and that's why we're excited because I think, you know, we have some of that with our veteran players and then with our young guys that uh, we've recently drafted. Uh, we see a lot of those qualities. And then part of that, just them just gaining experience in the league. Yeah. So. I love you talking about competitiveness. That's exactly one of the things that I work on with players is um, like their personal identity, right? Like their player profile, what how they be their best. And, and that competitiveness is so broad. And I think players do miss that aspect, right? You can be really competitive. And one of the one of the guys that I like talking about and shining a light on uh, is Kyler Yamamoto. So another ex-Spokane chief, right? Here's a small player, right? Like not physically intimidating at all, but not one person in the world can say he's not competitive, right? Like he doesn't intimidate because he's going to blow you up, but he is going to fight for that puck second, third, fourth chances, right? Like he, he doesn't go away. He's first to the puck in the corners. He'll go to the dirty areas, right? And um, he'll get to the front of the net. He'll win those loose puck battles. He'll be hard on the back check. And, and so I love highlighting like smaller players like that because we have this traditional idea of what competitiveness means, but there's lots of ways to be competitive. As long as you understand that as the person within your own stature, within your role, what your skill set, where your skill set's strong. And then all of a sudden you, when you have these areas of, uh, of action items, you know, of how I can show my competitiveness, I think it, sometimes it's a big light switch for players, right? Like how to, how they can and how they, how they can show compete. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. I think that's a really a really great point for 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 my listeners out there. Um, as far as GM and and with the draft and actually I should have a little sidebar. I know I joked with you the other day. Like Hudson, for those listening, he's my oldest. He's an 09. Um, he is going into his WHL draft year and he's playing at rank prep this year and he's a pretty good player. Like I mean, I think he has a good chance of getting drafted. We'll see how how the season goes. Um, but he definitely wants to play for the Spokane Chiefs. So it's funny <laughs> for everyone out there, like with these all these picks in the first four rounds, like we'll, we'll, we'll see if he has a good enough year and catches Matt's eye. But um, kind of fun, right, for me now coming back through this a second time, but with the father with the father right. hat on, it's, it's a whole new thing. Um, and, it, and it's fun to watch your kids chase something, just like I was chasing it when I, when I was his, his age. He definitely wants to play in the WHL, and I know there's so many kids now that, you know, have such a – Big emphasis, and and you know you know these players are 14 years old. Lots can happen between 14 and 17 when most of them will play. Um, there's lots of guys that aren't quite hitting that stride yet on the development curve, and that's why the list process still exists. You know, and that it's not the end of the world. This W this WHL draft is just one day in time, but they definitely are motivated. They're working their tails off. They want to get seen. And um, I guess my my question behind all that is um, with the with the draft. Where where do you fit with that role of GM? Are you are you making the final call on the first few picks? Do you need to see the players? Is it completely up to the scouts? Or how does that how does that work inside the the inner sanctum of the Spokane Chiefs? 
Yeah. So what we have this year, uh, we did it last year. We're going to do it again this year is we have a head guy in each province. So we have a, a head scout in uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. We have some coverage in the U S as well. Um, with my background of the scouting side, you know, I still like to be involved in that. Um, you know, for the most part, I want our scouts to, to feel confident and make decisions. Sometimes like this year we had the third overall pick. So I certainly had a, a big, big say in, in what we were going to do, the direction we were going to go with that. Cause that's such a important pick and not that other ones are not. Um, but you know, our scouts are the ones that, that do all the, do all the groundwork. Uh, they, they're watching the player, as I talked about earlier, they're kind of doing a deep dive on the individual, you know, getting to know them a little bit. Um, I think our guys do a really good job of building relationships with the families. And I think it's really important because much as we want to know about them, you know, at the end of the day, you also want the families to understand who we are as well. And just like you're going to go through it, Jason, with, with your son, you know, you want your son in a, in a good environment, a place where he's going to develop, everything's going to be good. And I think all the teams do that. So, so that's great. But um, our scouts, like I said, they, they do a lot of the work. Um, so am I involved? I am involved for sure. What I try to do is we have, um, you know, monthly Zoom calls with our staff to kind of go over the list. And basically I look at the list and then I just try to focus on the top 30, 40 players and just get a really good feel um, from there. And then uh, with, with the rest of the draft and, and the way it works is we, we set our list and then we pretty much just follow our list. Um, so instead of jumping around and we, you know, I feel our guys do such a, they, they spend a lot of time. They sacrifice a lot of their time because they all have their families and, and, and their job as well. So um, we set the list and then when it's our turn to pick the next guy that's on our list, that's who we're taking. Now, the only time that may change is if it, if it just so happened to be our first three picks wound up being forwards. And let's say we need a defenseman, but the next guy on our list is a forward. Maybe we skip that player to get that defenseman. Yeah. But for the most part, we, we follow our list um, from the top. So sometimes at the draft, guys might think it's a little bit boring because we're just, it's almost like an auto draft, so to speak, you right. know, but I feel we want to draft, we're drafting on the best player, best player available in our eyes. Um, is there a point where we have a need for sure? But at the end of the day, you know, we don't really want to be, you know, skipping over a, a player and all of a sudden we skip 10 guys just to get to a guy that, Oh, we kind of like this player because that's a need. You know, we, we can fill in from that. But uh, so, yes, I am involved. I want to be involved. Um, but for the most part, I, I try to let our, our scouts, you know, they do a lot of the work. And, and again, if we're following the list, then I'm, I'm trusting our guys that this is, this is what they believe in and making sure that they understand, uh, you know, the philosophy that, that we're looking for in a player and how we want to play. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the third overall pick there, and maybe we should give a shout out to Mathis Preston. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're willing to, to, to trumpet him since you took him in that high spot. I mean, he was somebody that I had a chance to watch and, uh, and again, I didn't watch as many games as I mean everyone else did. But I, from what I saw, I thought that he has the highest impact probability, and I mean like in a big way. You know, like he's a heck of a player, and he could be an amazing player. Like I think he could have went first overall quite easily, and I think you got a pretty pretty special player there. What what did you like about uh, Preston's game? Well, he certainly. When we talked earlier about the four 
things that we look for in a player. I mean, I thought, I mean, he, he checked, checked the box quite easily. I mean, he can absolutely skate. He's got an incredible shot. His skills really good, sees the game really well. And, and he's got a, a compete level. That's for, for the type of player that he is. Some people think he's skilled, which he is, but he's got an element of, uh, of, of his compete where it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. He can, he can almost play the game any way you want. However the game's going that night, he can adapt to it. If it's going to be a shootout, then that's what we're doing. And if it's a, you know, a physical game, then he's he's right in the in the thick of it. Um, I think he has a lot of everything. And, and we were really, really excited. Um, and I agree with you. I think he's a special player. And talk about someone that's, that's really driven. I mean, he's just a, he's a pretty serious person, even at 14. Like, he knows what he wants to do and what he wants to be. And a lot of times he'll drag, drag his teammates into the battle too, which I think is pretty, pretty impressive. That's awesome. All right. Let's take another short break from the podcast. Just to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The podcast has been running now. What is this? 118 episodes, something crazy like that. Uh, you keep me motivated. You keep me rolling. Uh, you people who are listening and send me those text messages and, and thank me for the, for the insights and the and the training videos and, and everything that comes along with the podcast, the content that it creates and the discussions that it allows you to have either with your mom or dad or with the, the parents, with their players, uh, the thoughts uh, and the discussions that are spurned from this, I think are are excellent. And, and you are the ones that allow me to keep rolling and keep pushing through when, when sometimes it seems a little bit tough. So I'm always grateful for the for the discussions. This one was definitely no different. Uh, leave revved up, leave charged up after after having the opportunity to speak with my guests. Uh, they leave me in a better place. It makes me think uh, about things that potentially I haven't thought before. How I can serve my players better, the teams I work with better, and uh, and really expands my my knowledge. And I know it's doing the same thing for you. And it also connects me to what I'm doing on the other side of this podcast, which is uh, trying to be the best coach I can be that allows players and teams to be the best that they can be. And uh, and every little bit of knowledge, every bit of assimilation with knowledge from different people, different approaches, different mentors. Uh, and that's essentially what I consider all my guests really are mentors. I, I, I am very grateful to be in a position every week to speak with great hockey people that have their own journey, uh, their own philosophies, their own ways of looking at things. And and anything I can grab or any piece that I can use to to expand what I'm doing, um, you know, I'm I'm definitely grateful for. And I know that my my athletes are benefiting from that as well. So for you who have listened and whether you've listened to one episode or all 118, uh, I hope that it's helped you uh, become more, more knowledgeable with the game, help you give you a broader understanding of, of the journey and, and what you can do for your player. Or if you're a player, how you can help. Like, uh, I definitely love when I hear that players are listening to these. Like, boy, if you are somebody that loves hockey and you want to grow and you want to be your best, this is a really great resource for you to be able to pick up and get inside the brains of some of these scouts and some of these general managers and coaches and ex-players that are giving you tidbits and insights about what it takes to make it, what it takes to be great, what you're going to have to overcome, how you're going to do it, how to persevere. Like, this this is gold. There's a lot of gold in here if you're willing to listen for it. So thanks for being a part of the journey, my own journey uh, th through this space of, of being a performance coach and, and supporting this podcast. And, and again, if you are listening and anything you can do to, 
to expand the reach of the podcast is uh, is not only helping the players that you expand it to, but it's also helping me and helping me touch more players and giving them uh, these these uh, valuable insights. So thank you very much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to this point. And I will get you back to the conversation with Matt Barzi right now. Maybe walk us through the, the development aspect. So you get drafted by the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, of course, there's the contract that can be signed. doesn't have to be signed right away. Some guys do. Some guys don't. Um, what happens at that point? Like, is there any type of, uh, I don't know, program that they're given? Do you help with the decision of where they're going to play next year? Do you want to get involved in that? Like, what happens between the time that you draft somebody and they have the opportunity to potentially actually wear the jersey of the Spokane Chiefs? Yeah, I think the big thing is, like we talked about during the season, our scouts do a good job of building relationships with the families. So when it comes to the point that that if we were to draft that player, I'd like to believe that the family feels really comfortable because we've already built a relationship. And then from there, we really continue to build on that relationship until they come to training camp. So that way, when they come to camp, it's almost like they feel like, you know, well, we kind of know you. And, and that's what we talk about. As much as we're evaluating them, it allows them to evaluate us. Because that I think that's the most important thing for them. Because we've got a bit of a feel of who they are as a player. We'll get to know a little bit more as as, as a person. But I think for the families, you know, as you know, Jason, I mean, you, you spend up to eight, potentially nine months. Well, probably more eight, seven, eight months in that city as a parent. You want to know where, you're, where your son's going to be potentially over the next four or five years. So, um so that's what we try to do. We really try to build the relationships. Obviously, some of our players have already signed. Others haven't, and that's not because we don't think that they're not going to play for us. But I, I feel pretty confidently that if if we're going to sign a player, I want to make sure that there's a, there's a spot for them. There's an opportunity. Even if that means there, – there's been a few over the years where we've laid it out there, even at 15, say, look, we'd like to commit to you. You may need one more year at 16, but for sure you're coming in at 17. And in, in my office right behind me on that board there, if I open it up, I've got a depth chart for this year, for the following team, or the following year, and then the year after that. So there's a three-year where I've got a depth chart. So we can see where we're at in our age group, in our positions, where we need to fill in. So if I'm going to commit to a player, I want to be able to let that player and the parents know that we have a spot even if that means it's not till 17. But the thing we're willing to do is commit to them and commit to their education right off the hop. And uh, so so that's kind of what we, what we start to work on. Um, and then, uh, you know, we just have communication throughout the summer to see how their training's going, any assistance they need as far as just, uh, you know, where, where they need help at. Um, and then same thing with our, our strength coach. Uh, he's in touch with all of our players, our veteran players, but also our the players that have signed, um, you know, just to kind of check in to see how their strength training is going, um, stuff like that. And then once they come to camp, that's when we really get to, uh, again, build that relationship. Um, they get a bit of an idea of, of everything. So. So, so with the development side of it, like the player development side, is there uh... – I don't know how to put it. I mean, I know, I know you're not hands-on with them because they're playing for another team, right? They have another coach and they're there with another organization when they're 15, 16, well, 14, 15, about that one year, I guess, for sure. Your top players are going to come up and play at 16. And I know there's only one or two probably a year that do that, but you still have that one year, that 15-year-old year for everybody. 
that they're not a part of your system, right? Potentially right. at that year. Do you do you just allow like that system to take in, or do you do you get involved in it somehow, depending on where they're at, as far as you know, maybe a strength program for them or a training program, or maybe some type of skill development package? Well, we give them a you know, it kind of starts at training camp when we do our exit meetings. Uh, with our players and even the ones that are signed that are going to play some exhibition games when we send send them back we give them a little bit of feedback this is what we'd like to see you work on these are some things uh, this is what you know your strengths are so make sure you master that here's some areas that you can improve on for the most part like we'll get some parents that will call and say hey we have two options here we can play for this program or we can play for that program what are your thoughts I don't really like to say this is where you need to play I don't think that's right. I think at the end of the day, we're going to support the player and the family wherever they're going to play. Now, if they're asking for advice, if we know the program, say, you know, this is where I think this program's strong at and this is where I think this program's strong at. Wherever you want to go, that's great. You know, I think ultimately it's probably a little bit about your opportunity. You know, you want to go somewhere where you're going to get opportunity and, and you know, you want to earn it. But at the same time, if, if you're going to be a, a key contributor to that team, you're going to get – some power play time, some penalty goal time, especially a player that's signed with us, that's going to help fast track their development, uh, get them ready. And, you know, there's a lot of pro a lot of organizations around uh, Western Canada that are really good now, uh, same in the U.S. And, and a lot of these coaches are, are, are pretty good, especially with this age group. So I feel pretty confident uh, wherever our players are going to be. And ultimately it's our responsibility to check in. So then during the season, as much as we are focused on the, the draft itself, we also have a mindset. We got to make sure that we're following up with our prospects just to see how they're doing. And, and I try to go in and see our guys uh, when I can, especially our signed players, just to kind of check in on them. Um, I certainly touch base with the coaches to see, you know, how they're doing, but at the same time also support their organization. If sometimes they might say, Hey, you know what, you know, can, can you give this player a call and, you know, just kind of check in with them and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I mean, we're invested in that player, like with, with their education, their commitment, we want to make sure that, that we're assisting them uh, with support so that when they come in and when we go all the way back to what we first talked about confidence, I want to make sure they're coming in at 16 or 17 with a lot of confidence. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. The, uh, the, the, the draft itself, uh, if we could just touch on that and maybe just for the listeners, and for me too, because I'm not a 100% uh, sure on how it all works. But I know that there there is a U.S. priority draft, or what, I mean, I'm not sure if I have the name right, where it's just yes. dedicated to U.S. players. And you got another um, another good player there, I believe, in Gillespie. You got the first overall, I think, uh, out of rank. And then, uh, and then there's also, though, U.S. players taken in the regular draft. Um, I, I saw that as well. Can you explain the difference to me and, and how that how that sets up? Yeah, so you're right. There's It's the U.S. priority draft. So that's the day before. It used to be called the Bantam draft. Now it's called the prospects draft. But So the U.S. priority draft, it's two rounds. So there's 44 players that are taken. Any player that was not taken in that draft they roll over into the the prospects draft, which is the following day. So it's uh, it allows just the focus of the of of the first two rounds for the U.S. draft, and then anybody that kind of carried over, they can get selected. And we and we did that. We we uh, we selected uh, two players, and then we also uh, 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 we looked looked at a player in in, in the, the regular draft as well. Gotcha. Do you under, do, can you share what the philosophy of that is? Like, why don't they just have them all in in one draft? 
I think just uh, just have a little bit of focus with the U.S. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I think it's pretty much well known. You've got the CHL and then you have the NCAA. And I think I think it allows teams to to really focus like you, you get two spots. Initially, those two spots don't even impact your 50 player list. So, you know, it allows everyone to get a, a chance to select a player. And we're starting to see a little bit more of the Americans that are signing. Like so far, I think there's been four or five of the Americans from that draft in May, just that U.S. draft that have already committed uh, to the Western League teams. Um, so I think they're just trying to – so that there's a focus there rather than when you go into the prospects draft, you have to almost gauge like we really like this player, but – you know, his commitment level might be low. So do we take him in the third round or do we wait till the sixth or the seventh round? But in the, the U.S. priority draft, you know, you just they, – they give you two extra spots. So hopefully for our league, you know, that that enables teams to try to select guys who they believe are the high-end players and then try to recruit them rather than maybe they don't take a player in the prospects draft because there's a lot of the Canadian players still available. Gotcha. No, I thought that, that makes sense, yeah. The – um I guess that's a, that's a very real concern, uh, and, and, and I know that's why it's probably one of the higher questions on the on the scouting forums or the recruitment forums is, I mean, do you want to play in the WHL, right? Because you, you don't want to be squandering these picks that are so important um, on players that don't have any intention of being there. Uh, how do you how do you assess that? Because people could be holding their cards tight. You know, I mean, who knows where parents are at and what the where the players are at? But I, I assume, especially with your earlier picks, like you you need to know that they, they are willing to come. Yeah. You want to have a pretty good idea. Um, you know, we believe my, my philosophy is even if a family or a player says, you know, we're not really interested, that's not going to determine whether we draft a player. What it may determine is where we draft that player. So Dan, so you, you are correct. Like in the early rounds, you know, we, we certainly need to know, but I'm never, I'm not going to, we're not going to take a player that we really, really like just because they say they're not really interested. It just determines where we take that player. And that's part of our job is, is on the recruiting side to provide a, you know, a plan for them. I, I, you know, when it comes to signing players, um, if we're doing a recruiting, I try to put together a development plan that's just not coming in and just being general, say, oh, you know, we're going to try to develop you into an NHL player. We try to put together a plan that has year one at 16. This is what this looks like. This is what year two looks like. This is what year three looks like. And so it kind of they get a bit of a, a layout of, of what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, I mean, if we're honest, like, you know, the US, USA Hockey's done a real good job over the years. Um, NCAA Hockey is you know, is certainly big. I think the biggest thing is where players are going to go until they get into NCAA hockey to maintain their eligibility. You know, so you obviously in Canada, you've got the BCHL and the Alberta Junior League and so on. And certainly in the U.S., the USHL is probably is the main uh, prominent uh, junior A league that that uh, enables players to maintain their eligibility until they go in the NCAA. So there's basically two routes to, to try to meet your goal. And we, we always sell it on why we think our route's good. There's been some players in the past, Jason, that, you know, and I really, really appreciate uh, how they approach it. And, and they'll just say, Matt, my goal is to play hockey at an NCAA university. 
you know, uh, if it doesn't work out in the end, if I'm not a pro, then that's fine. But I've always had a goal. Um, yeah. And when yeah. players say that or families say that, it's like, you know what, I, I get it. That's great. But when they come back and say, well, we're going to go this route because we think this is our better chance for the for the NHL. Well, then that's where I feel that we can say, well, this is why we think our route's good, you know, or or why Spokane is good, why we can do this. Um, we make it really, really known within an organization we're never going to negative recruit. We're not going to say anything negative to try to get a player to come to us. Our, our main focus is why we feel uh, we're a very good option. Uh, you know, for your son and stuff like that. So that's that's something we try to maintain uh, at a high level. So. No, that's great. And I think that the university system there in Canada, like the hockey system, is becoming much more relevant and credible to producing pro players. You know, I mean, like, for, and I'm not sure why it wasn't historically either, but I mean, that's that they're coming into into relevance for sure. So I mean, the fact that the schooling is paid for, you know, up at a Canadian institution, and the hockey still is very good there, and it's still a route to being a pro. Uh, I think that really helps as well. You know what I mean? As far as from the recruitment process is concerned. Well, I agree. I agree with you, Jason. And, and you know, and we certainly have to make sure that we continue to, 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 to send that message for whatever reason, there's this mindset that if you go to, you know, Canadian university, then the, the dream is over. And that's, that's not the case. It's just, it's different. I mean, we, you know, you major junior comes and then you go college where maybe it's different. It's flipped where, you know, if you go in the NCAA, most of the players are going in a little bit, early, you know, they can go in as early as 18, most are probably 19. Well, Canadian University, it's probably 21. So it's just, you're still achieving the same thing if, if you're going that direction. And you are right, like one of one of our own, Derek Ryan, who's from Spokane, played in Spokane, and, and you know, he's a great testament to, to how his path, and that it goes back to, there's a numerous paths to get to the NHL. And uh, and he he took a, a road that was you know a bit unique, but but I think it's it's really important that people understand that it can happen and yeah. talk about perseverance and confidence in himself to to do that. So one of my favorite interviews, like I, he was he was on the program and he was one of the guys that I didn't know. Like I didn't have I never played with him, right? I didn't know him at all. Uh, reached out to him over social media. He he was uh, kind enough to come on, and and what an amazing story! And it was awesome to celebrate and to have him tell it. Uh, I didn't know half of it, you know. Like then the fact that he's still in the NHL now uh, is remarkable. So if anyone out there hasn't listened to that interview, I highly re recommend it because he was one of the first. I mean, essentially, kind of a trailblazer, not directly from from Canadian University to the NHL uh, to an NHL contract, but took took a longer road. But but still, there there is definitely more guys signing NHL deals out of that league now. So I think that's that's uh, that's helpful for the recruitment process at WHL. Um, I will. I know we're we're right up here against the clock. The the last question, and I always um, I, I want to end with this just because. And maybe I'll put you on the spot. Maybe not. I don't know. But like the, the idea of not getting drafted as a 14 year old and yeah. that this dream is not done, you know, that the I think the stats historically say like roughly 30 to 35 percent of the league is is undrafted players that are consistent in the WHL. Um, and so, you know, I mean, just to keep the spirits up and it is one day in time, like, do you, do you know offhand how many players on the Spokane Chiefs from last year's roster weren't drafted? Yeah, you know, I, I, I should know that. I, I don't know if I can give you a, a firm answer on that, but you are correct. I mean, there's more and more players that uh, that are coming into the league that weren't drafted. And, I you know, we talk about the draft is, you know, is, is certainly the lifeline to your team, but it doesn't it just doesn't stop there. 
And over my time in, in Portland and then my, my three years in Kamloops and now in Spokane, I mean, probably at least 30%, maybe even 40% are going to be, your roster is going to be made up of players that weren't drafted, you know, and, and the draft is just, is just the, like the first, the first opportunity. It gives you the first opportunity that you are going to a camp. I mean, every year at our camp, we have anywhere from three to five players that are invites that wind up making our list. So I think invites that come to camp, their main focus should be coming in. Hey, I'm going to try to make, make our, make this list. That should be the focus. Come in. You've got four days to make an impression, but every year we, we have three to five that make our list. Now, if do those players ever make our team, not sure, but just like, some of our drafted players may may not play, whether it's their development, maybe it's just opportunity that's available to them. Like maybe, you know, we just don't have room, so to speak, in their age group. But uh, but I think it is important, Jason, for that message that if you're not drafted, that that's not the end. It, and it's no different than the NHL. I mean, we see guys that don't get drafted uh, that wind up signing free agent contracts uh, yeah, exactly. in the NHL or guys that get drafted in the first round of the NHL and maybe – maybe never play it, 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 those things just happen. So, uh, but yeah, I think it's important, especially at the, at the Western level, cause it is tough. I mean, we are drafting 14 year olds. I mean, you, you know, you are, are they physically ready? Are they emotionally ready? You know, it's just, there's so many variables when you, when you're talking about a 14 year old, you know, and where he's going to be even in two years, some of those players all of a sudden, physically hit a growth spurt they grow six seven inches and and all of a sudden they they start to catch up with other guys that were drafted and you're like oh you know that's why i think it's important that the evaluation process never stops for us yeah. whether you're 14 or whether you're 17 or 18 it never stops yeah no i just like getting that message out because it is just one moment in time and it's all about like falling in love with the process as you said earlier as a player and that's the one thing that i try and get my own voice to buy into and and uh and anyone that i'm you know that i work with is i mean it's about you getting better and whether you got drafted third overall like mathis preston like he needs to get better too and the guy you drafted in the seventh round needs to get better he might exactly. need to get better faster right he's got to understand that you know what there was like six rounds of players that people thought were better than me so there's obviously a gap i need to close so maybe there's a little more urgency in his game but mathis cannot be comfortable where he's at i mean and that's just that whether you're player a or player z uh, you got to fall in love with that art of getting better um, cause you're always trying to get there and there's always guys that are going to come up from behind that are doing the work that maybe you're not. So, uh, I like that message and there's lots of guys that play in the league that have never been drafted. So, uh, mm -hmm. appreciate you saying that. I think that's a good, good way for us to, uh, for us to leave this one. I know you got a meeting coming up. So Matt, uh, thanks so much for spending, you know, the, the hour with us here and with my listeners and sharing a little insight into what the Spokane Chiefs are and what you're about and what, the and what it's like to be a WHL player. And, and I know we're, we're a lot more knowledgeable because of it. Well, I really appreciate it, Jason. I appreciate you having me on. I know you're a, you're a proud alum uh, and it's always exciting to talk to, uh, to anybody that's, that's been through the organization. And, and hopefully this year uh, when we're coming up, when we're in uh, Kelowna or Kamloops, I know Kamloops, you know, which one's closer for you, but uh, you know, maybe uh, I'll reach out to you and maybe you can uh, pop on out and we can, uh, we can connect in, in person. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, games. I would love it. I, I did see a game last year, and uh, the boys are at the perfect age where they to go watch too, so if the schedules don't collide. 
it's tough sometimes with how busy they all are, but it's nice to get them out and watch the WHL hockey, especially with that uh, Spokane Chief logo ripping around the ice. So, yeah, thanks so much. And, for sure. Uh, well, we'll I'm sure I'll see you around the rinks, too, with your boy uh, up in his draft here, right? So we'll be talking awesome. quite a bit. So All right. Cheers, Matt. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jason. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of my conversation with Matt. That was a lot of fun for me to be able to sit here with the general manager of the Spokane Chiefs, someplace that I played for four years, four Geez, like those are really, really formidable years. You know, the the late teen years. Uh, it's where like your music tastes come from. I remember books from that time. I remember uh, like so many friendships that I still have to date. I, I visited my my uh, billets the other day when I was down in Spokane on a on a vacation and and got to see them. And uh, yeah, it's just a really it was a really special interview for me and and uh for matt to come in there now and to take ownership and to take the reins of that organization and uh and to get into a better place in a win-loss column as last year wasn't you know and the year before it hasn't hasn't been some great years of of recent for uh for the spokane chiefs but i know it's in very good hands as we just heard there with with what they have going on there i, I love the plan that they have in place i love the players that uh, that they were drafted, uh, that they that they want to be Spokane Chiefs in the future, and there's some really good core pieces that they have to work with this year. And and by all by all counts, it sounds like the coaching staff has been doing a great job there. So, um, thank you for for being here, and for anyone who is a Spokane Chief uh, who may be listening to this, or a Spokane Chief fan uh, that's a part of that community, and and is maybe listening to this as a current fan, and maybe never had a chance to to watch me play. I just want to say thank you to that whole city. Uh, the organization, the Bretts, uh, Tim Speltz when he was there, uh, all the coaches that I played for, Brian Maxwell and uh, Mike Babcock and Perry Shockey and and uh, and Mr. Braun and and I know I'm missing some people, but there was uh, every piece, every person there had an impact on me and and uh, and on my journey, and and I just want to thank you uh, for that because it was a special time and. And I hope that anyone here who is who is maybe wanting to play in the WHL gets to go to a great organization and and have it be as impactful for them as it was for me. So uh, I know a lot of people are trying to make a decision out there. I am definitely not pro WHL. You have to go to the WHL or the OHL or the QMJHL. You have to don't have to play Canadian uh, major junior hockey. Uh, but it was a special piece for me. I think it is a very good league. I think it's a very great development league. I think it teaches you how to be a pro. I think there's a ton of accountability, uh, within the system. Uh, you know, the, the, the ownership that you have to have as a student athlete in a WHL environment, like it teaches you how to grow up and it teaches you a level of maturity that otherwise you don't have, uh, the road trips, the length of the bus rides, the amount of games you have to play, the amount of practices you have, the, the uh that you have to show up and get your school done that's such a priority you know there's there's tons of things there that are just part of the ecosystem that make you grow up as a person and as a player and uh and i know there's massive benefits of the ncaa route and the, those that go to play junior a and i'm working with the salmon arm silverbacks um in their mental performance capacity and and i see the big goals and the big dreams there and the and the level of skill that's in that league and and many of those players move on to the ncaa and have great pro careers after that and continue their education in the state so there's there's definitely not a right way uh i i definitely uh don't don't think there is a one way for anyone i think everyone has their own path and and whatever you are drawn to is is going to be where you want to go but i do know that whl is a is a heck of a hockey league and there's a lot of good players there and for those of you who want to play in the whl go chase it chase it big 
um, cherish every every game that you get and uh, and recognize that you're amongst some of the best players um, of your age group and it is a great place to uh, to improve if you're willing to, to put in the work so thank you again to Matt Barsley and um, everyone else who's listening until next time play hard and keep your head up.